0: Let's pretend that this isn't advice and I'm Erin and I'm not giving you advice it's it's not advice I can't help myself give advice I don't mean to I don't want to I want you to be able to live your life but I know how to do it I am a huge know-it-all and this is where I practice not giving advice to people except I totally give advice to them I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach and I just happen to give the best advice, but this is a podcast, not a coaching session. So I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Aaron Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. Hey. Welcome back to This Is Not Advice. I know it's been a while since we've had an episode. Uh, Thank you for the loyalty and coming back as while we were on hiatus, um, or I was on hiatus. Uh, On today's episode of This Is Not Advice, I have Corey Hilton. Corey is an author and uh, a former exotic dancer, and we talk all about authenticity and really learning about who you are and why you would and uncovering your true self. Um, It is not all speaking in metaphor about like stripping and getting naked and authenticity in that way, but it is a theme. Um, It's definitely mostly a PG podcast. uh, And I think that you'll get a lot out of it. Um, we talk about generational trauma. One of my biggest takeaways from this conversation with Corey is just how important it is to really regularly check in with yourself all the time. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy our show today. Um, and you know, I would love to connect with you if you have any interest in working with me. Uh, reach out. You can book a discovery call on my website at erinconlan.com. Corey, hi. Welcome <laughs> to This Is Not Advice.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. It's an absolute pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm honored to be on your podcast and uh, hope we have a good, entertaining, and in depth conversation for the next hour or so.
0: I'm certain we will. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm like positive that we will.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so that you get to define yourself. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell our audience... Who the
1: heck are you? (laughs) Who the heck am I? Okay, well, thanks for asking. Um, I'm kind of an interesting guest, one that you might not have kind of experienced being on a podcast before, because quite frankly, every podcast that I've done, they've kind of sat back and went, okay, that was original. Um, Based on my former career, I was actually, believe it or not, um, I was a male exotic dancer for 25 years of my life. I'm now 51 years old. I started at 17 years old. I live in Canada, Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. And I started off when I was still in high school working ladies nights, believe it or not, while I was underage when the drinking age up here was 19 years old. I was 17 and I was working in the clubs. So and that kind of morphed into not just it started off as actually a topless waiter on Ladies Night, and then it kind of went from there where I became a bouncer and then eventually ended up going full nude and being a male, a full-on male exotic dancer uh, after basically getting introduced to the right people in the industry, so to speak. So, um, And then I just had a 25-year career from there that had an insane amount of stories and really a whole lot of learning experiences that came with that territory that are very relatable. Uh, to a lot of men in particular, the struggles mm. that I dealt with. But at the same time, it's seen through a very unique lens that a lot of people, quite frankly, wanted to know about. So that's why I took the time in the last five years to write a book about it and do a lot of really in-depth Introspection into myself to be accountable for my actions and actually accept the things that I'd done in my past. And that's been a very liberating experience. So that's kind of me in a nutshell uh, somebody that hid behind his alter ego for most of his life being on stage. And then basically in this last little while, revealed my naked truth, so to speak, uh, my true self being Corey, not the alter ego that I hid behind for all those years.
0: Did you have a stage name?
1: Yes, I did here in Canada. Uh, my stage name was actually Dalton Strong um (laughs) that's
0: such a good name
1: yeah so good you you want to hear the story behind it yeah i do (laughs) (laughs) i have a story about almost everything so i can roll but did you want to ask me something else before that what was your u.s
0: stage name
1: um my u.s stage name actually was my real uh Full name, not last name, but Corey Lane. So my middle name is L A I N E Lane. So uh, I did go under Corey Lane when I went to uh, Florida. I worked for the largest beach club in North America there for a decade, um, which was really insane because that was where a whole different life started for me. I had a life here in Canada um, that I was, it was a very interesting story behind my life here in Canada where I I hit the peak of what I could do in this country. I won some contests, got some credibility, uh, and then ended up in. in Florida where um, when I went to that whole new world and I wasn't being judged by anyone or I didn't have any family or friends around me to even normalize me in any way, uh, that was where my world changed and I dove into a whole different realm of MTV and uh, big shows and uh, big popularity and uh, you know there was things that came with that territory that I can say that were not necessarily uh, what everybody would do, but they opened up doors to my emotions that were never opened up before. And unfortunately it was through drugs at the time. Um, but, uh, Mm -hmm. that being said, um, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm, I'm grateful for that because it actually opened up a door to me that I never really felt that I had inside because, Quite frankly, I was very emotionally disconnected for most of my most of my life before that, and so when that opened, that door opened up. It was almost like tasting food for me for the first time. It was like I ate food all my life, but I didn't really know what it tasted like, and it was kind of like that with my emotions as well. So, um, you know, through that period of time, it was 1996 when I first ended up in Florida, and uh, yeah, it was just it was a really big time whirlwind. Most people don't deal with these things, but I just basically when I hit that peak here in Canada, I decided to jump on board with a group um, that was the best group in in the US at that time and uh, went, three, went three days straight across the country driving and left my family, my friends, everything that I knew behind and started this whole new crazy life for 10 years down there. And yeah, there's just so many stories. That I had to write a book about it. That's why my book's over a hundred thousand words and it's way more than just some some dancer stories. There's some real serious meaning behind that that men can really in particular relate to when they struggle with lack or self-doubt or even unworthiness, quite frankly, is what I'm, was one of my biggest problems was is I always never thought. I never really understood my own worth. Um, so that was something that I had to <clears throat> take a step back from, quite frankly, and take a step back from all the stuff that I'd done in my past and go, okay, why did this happen? Why yeah. did you deal with this? And not not through a lens of of status, through a lens of basic introspection. And I, I quite, like I say, I took two years of my life in this last couple of years off of, of relationships, off of just career, off of everything. And I really worked on my inner self to really figure out the, the real root cause of why I had struggles with leadership or why I had struggles with connection or why I always had this thought of lack in the back of my head that I was never, I was going to never have enough money when ironically all I had was money shoved down my G string as a male dancer for 25 years. How does that work? So, you know, it's, it's kind of an odd dynamic to be completely honest. And like I said before, most people want to know about it. They wouldn't want to do it necessarily, but they kind of want to know what it was like and how did you end up doing that for that long? Right? So I say it without ego. I'm not really, I mean, there was enough ego in my former industry Um, I really just say it with authenticity now. And that's something that I've really tried my best to stay very, very aligned with my own authenticity. And that's very liberating. So,
0: Well, Corey, first of all, what's your book called so that people can go buy it?
1: (laughs) Thanks for the plug. It's actually called Take It Off, uh, Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer. It can be found on Amazon or it can be Mm -hmm. found on my website at Um, Mm takeitoff.ca. So that's Really, the best place to go if you're wanting to get a signed copy. Uh, I can get you one through there, no problem at all. So, yeah.
0: cool. Okay, now <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of time on the stories because mm-hmm. one, I mean, we'll get to some because I know that that will happen, <laughs> and two, I think why you wrote this book is more important than what's in it, yeah. at least for our conversation. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah what made you sit down and actually do it? Like everyone thinks mm-hmm. about being introspective.
1: Mm-hmm. Everyone
0: thinks like, oh, I should write a book one day. What
1: mm-hmm.
0: What was the change for you? What made you do it?
1: Great question. Yeah. The, the the shitting on yourself, so to speak. I've heard that many times. I should write the book. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, I did should on myself for quite a few years. Um, now, let me just put it into perspective. When I when I finished my dance career, I had a lot of people coming to me and saying, oh, you told me this crazy story. You should write a book. You should. And I said, yes, I will. And I even had the name at that time. But the thing was, is, is I wasn't finished yet. I had to actually provide more than just a bunch of stories as a memoir about this crazy career of mine. I really wanted to impact a certain demographic of people. And the only way that I could actually do that was to go through that that introspective process, so to speak, and learn a lot about myself. Now, to backtrack just a little bit, now this is the main reason why I wrote it. There was actually... It was a healing experience for me and it was a healing experience for everyone in my past, including my ex-wife, people that I'd had in my life that maybe things didn't work out the right way. Maybe they were even bad apples of good intent to a certain degree, but when I actually found That I was able to to line up with my authenticity. I was able to really, truly heal a lot of those relationships. So that's one reason why I wrote it. But also, on the other side of it was, I was adopted to my grandparents. And being that my grandparents were my, quote, parents for most of my, you know, as far as I knew, Mm -hmm. um, basically, I was born in 1970. So that generation, there was a lot of that adopting to your grandparents sort of stuff happening, especially back at that time, right? But the thing was, is my grandparents, they supported my career in a big way. They allowed me to go work in a club at 17 years old, as long as I didn't get messed up on things and I kept my grades up. They were like, you know what, kid, go ahead and fill your boots, do what you want to do. So they gave me this, this freedom to be able to do that, which was very original for a family that was raised depression era, that struggled through a lot of these types of things. To be that open with, with their grandson son was pretty incredible. But the thing was, is in all honesty, Aaron, I didn't really want them to have their perception of me tarnished until, uh, based off of what they were going to read in this book. Cause there's some stuff in there that I just quite frankly didn't want to want them to read. They would never really, truly understood some of that stuff. So I waited and I waited an, an additional decade after I'd finished my career to write this. And that through that process, what happened was I was you know, compiling all this, these notes, journals, just really just throwing stories and stuff down randomly as they came to my mind. But then what happened was my, my grandmother passed away, my grandfather passed away. And that was the needle mover that happened two years ago, where when they passed away, then I was like, okay, I don't have anything in my background that's really bothering me to be authentic now. Now I can actually just say it raw, I can say it real. And there's the only people that are going to judge me are my readers and they're not going to judge me because I'm actually being a true leader and going with my authentic vulnerable self here and being really, really wide open about that to provide a learning experience for my audience. So as a person that struggled really, really hard, especially when I was in my, my early 30s with these key components of lack, unworthiness, self-doubt, all these things that a lot of guys in particular really deal with, but they bottle up. And they don't say anything about it because they have to present a certain image. I actually was doing all that. And that caused me to go through a lot of pitfalls, a lot of really, really hard times in my life where relationships would end and it would be like extremely hard, like even more than normal, I guess you could say for the breakup, I'd be just distraught over it or with a feeling of abandonment or whatever it was. So I went on a lot of long forest Gump walks through that process. And through that, you know, and, and that that kind of I don't want anybody to have to do the long forest gump walks. I'd rather save them a little bit of time and heartache with that. Right. So by by doing my motivation with this book, yeah, is to educate, entertain and inspire. But it's also to hit that, per, that person that's my 30 year old self that struggled with all that, you know. So that's the motivation.
0: So. I find it so beautiful that like you a man who was out there being outwardly a man who people would want to look like
1: exterior yes
0: exterior and yet like you were judging yourself so harshly
1: Mm -hmm. that you couldn't
0: be with yourself that you were like Mm -hmm. this isn't good enough I'm not good enough nothing probably that you ever did was good enough
1: yeah um I can expand on that a little bit Um, not just because of being in an an industry where you're in competition all the time, like every night that you're going out to do a show in a weird way, you're in competition. You're in competition Mm -hmm. with your last show that you did. You're in competition with the other guys that were out there on stage, even though we were a team. There was still an element of it. But where my real competition came from with my perfectionist side, so to speak, was through bodybuilding. When I And it's in the second chapter of my book and I called it uh, Put Down the Remote If You Want to Be the Goat not saying that I was the greatest of all time, but just you, you have to put down the remote to be disciplined. It's not about when you're talking about going to a gym, for example, it's not about going to the gym and doing the action. It's about t- making the decision to take the action. It's putting the remote down and walking your butt out there and doing what you need to do, right? Most people, like they say they should, just like writing a book. I should write a book, but they sit there and they talk about it and they don't take the action to do it. So that's that's kind of where I came into this really crazy comparison game that was above and beyond what most people would ever experience because, quite frankly, only 1% of the entire world actually goes to the process of going through an entire bulking phase for bodybuilding, an entire diet phase, going up on stage, doing a show. That whole process is a massive comparison game that I went to a point with that that I was trying to go pro and yeah, I was I was in a really, I mean, no kidding aside, all kidding aside, I was in a really, really amazing shape at that time in my life. But yeah. e- even when I did my show, even at the point where I was at that peak, I still looked back at those pictures from that show and went, that could have been better. That should have been better. I should have done this. I should have had bigger this. I should have had smaller this. And I just sat there and picked myself apart. And that's the problem is, is that we're all so hard on ourselves because we are living in this era of... I guess you could say airbrushed era of posting on social media or whatever and having to look good for this audience out there and it's not really it's not about looking good for the audience as far as to me anyways as far as my social media it's about looking good as far as that person I'm looking at in the mirror and I'm not even talking about exterior I'm talking more so about being able to say you know what I accept myself for my progression now and I laugh at my imperfections And I actually love my imperfections now. And through the practice of yoga, I've really, really dove deep into that in this last couple of years. And instead of being in a place where I was trying to build my body to be this big bodybuilder guy, now I'm undoing all that stuff. I'm actually all the damage that I did back then. I'm undoing it, whether it's mental, physical, or spiritual. Quite frankly, you know. And so that was
0: my that was my big question: like, how did your spirit handle all of that? That's hard.
1: There's a lot of, there was a lot of tears, like, um, and it was tears because not because of that I personally, like, yeah, I went through some really, really tough times. I'm not going to deny it. I did. I went through some stuff that most people don't go through, but Mm -hmm. I played the blame game for a long time in my life and pointed the finger instead of using my thumb. And by doing that, I pushed that accountability off on everybody else. And then I sat there and went, oh, poor me, poor me. I'm the victim here. They did this to me. The world did this to me, which is a bunch of BS because I put myself in that position. I was the one that really, whether it be divorce, like I was married for almost eight years and, and I was out there doing my, my stuff as a dancer. And believe it or not, when I was in dancer creative mode, when I, because creativity is quite frankly one of my biggest values. And so, if I'm not creative, then I don't have a feeling behind my creativity of excitement. Because when I think about the word creativity, the first thing that comes to my mind is excitement. That's the way I feel about it. So, when I was a dancer and I was out performing, I had that adrenaline rush. I had that excitement of being creative. But when that kind of went off to the side and I didn't have that anymore, then that started to be a degradation of my marriage. And it actually, believe it or not, wasn't because of the dancing as much as it was inside of me personally. I didn't really... I I was dying inside in my own way. So it caused my own marriage to start dying inside and force my own partner to actually, you know, I was married for, like I say, seven and a half, eight years total, but at the same time, I never strayed. And that's hard to almost comprehend for some people because of what I was doing, but I didn't stray. And in the end it was actually her that did, but it wasn't all her fault. Like, and that's what I come back to with this healing process of accountability really, and really just being authentic is that I was able to go back after 15 years of being divorced from this lady that did, we had such a great relationship for so many years and we had so much fun, but it was all based off of codependency and sometimes addictions and all that sort of stuff. But we had so many good years together, and I don't wish any harm upon her and her future. Obviously, I want her to live a good life. So my the the, I guess you could say one of those layers, why I call it take it off, one of those layers that got removed from me personally was Being able to go back and speak to her as a human, looking her in the eye instead of looking up or down at her, like actually really honestly being like, I'm I'm more of a partner to you now than I was when we were married. And I really want you to break that chain, that feeling that you have of guilt in you. I don't want you to have that anymore. In fact, I really want to take on some of that load and say, hey, you know, I screwed up just as bad as you did. Maybe there was a physical action there that was a little different. But you did that for a reason. And I pushed you there. So release yourself of that. Right. And that, I don't know, like I said, that's gratifying. And that's stuff that money honestly just can't buy. And that's again, like, it comes back to you say, why do you write a book? Well, that has part to do with it. It is actually, believe it or not, it's personal and professional. So yes, I want to get my word out to the world. Yes, I want to have people go, wow, that was a great book. But at the same time. It really, even if honestly, Aaron, even if I didn't sell one, uh, even if I just sold books, to just my family and friends and they read it, that's pretty gratifying because now they're actually like my, they're actually seeing the real me for once. They're actually really getting the real truth about what happened with us. And that could be personally, professionally, whatever, because I was the guy that after my dance career, I did other careers where I pointed the finger because I was perfect pointing the finger. It's all your fault. Oh, that sale went sideways. That's all your fault. That's not my fault, right? That was perfect. Yeah,
0: It's kind of a, it's a whole different way to live when you hold yourself accountable.
1: Mm-hmm. Most definitely. But it's actually, I guess you can say like for me, again, I come back to the word liberating because like mm-hmm. as much as sometimes it sucks to say something like, I don't yeah, even read the word sucks, but I guess it's hard to say that you can look back on, on your relationship with someone and admit that it was so codependent in so many ways that you actually took control of someone. And they wanted the control, but you literally went in and controlled them and looked up from your pedestal and looked down at that person and said, you need to do this. You need to do this. But hey, I'm not going to do anything about my inner crap that I've got going on inside of me. But I want you to do all the work on your end because I'm already perfect over here.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a lot of what happens in that kind of scenario is you're already feeling pretty disempowered. Mm -hmm. And if you can take that feeling of feeling disempowered and exert power over somebody else and they will empower you, then you're like, Oh, wait a second.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm
0: not so disempowered. And so that dynamic feeds you it feeds them because then they don't have to be responsible for what happens if something bad happens then they can be like well technically it's their fault because they made me do it and so they're not responsible for their life but at the same time like
1: it's it's a a vicious circle is what mm -hmm. i'm saying like and it's as crazy as it sounds there and like I This is what I did and this is where again, I come back to this like this gives me goosebumps talking about this stuff Okay, because this is how deeply I feel about this Any therapist will turn around and say to you You're going to mimic your parents in some way shape or form or the people that brought you up You're gonna mimic what they do, but you turn around most people say oh, no, I'll never do that Right, so what do I do? I go I, I go into this insane industry I go ahead and I find somebody that needed help. <laughs> I had tons of relationships before that that with women that didn't need help. That actually were completely independent, that were probably far more right for me in a lot of ways. But I found somebody that really needed help that I had an attraction for. And I lined that up because guess what? I could actually take control of that situation and I Mm -hmm. could be the man. I could set up a good Ricky and Lucy type of relationship within my crazy stripper world with somebody else was gonna depend on me. And I could actually be the guy that's like, hi, honey, I'm home. Is dinner on the table and is the laundry done? I'm living back in 1945 well it's year 2000 and that's literally exactly exactly what I did when I look back on it in hindsight I dragged that person into my world and tried to make her conform to my world you need to come and do this you need to fix this about you but again I'm not going to look at myself in any way because hey you know, and it's just, that comes back to egotism. That comes back to like, you know, the career that I so chose, but I don't even think it was as much about the career that I chose as much of as my upbringing. And quite frankly, just kind of unfortunately, due to having depression era for parents that went through a lot of hardship. And I mean, a lot of really hardship that we can never really truly understand, stuff like suicide, um, that, you know, through that, those incredibly hard times in depression, I mean, real depression back in the 20s, right? So when you're dealing with that sort of stuff, those, those, those traumas, and I do call them big T traumas that happened to my grandfather You know, back in that era, those traumas passed down through my entire family like a virus. And then Mm -hmm. it got to me finally, even as the grandson that was being raised, I still took on those things inside of me. And I was just as much as I wanted to love, as much as I wanted, I really wanted to connect with people. I just honestly didn't know how. Like I, I really, it was weird as it sounds. It could be completely natural for somebody that heard all the honeys and the love yous and sweeties and all the rest of it in their house. But I didn't hear any of that stuff. And I'm not here to cry a river about it. I'm really not because I'm very grateful for my family. They've given me more than most people will ever dream of getting, especially when it came to backing me up on so many things. But, you know, sometimes you have to, again, do that introspection and go, okay, why? Why? And go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's literally what I did. And when I found that out, that was where I went, okay, This all kind of ties together now. And that's really why I wrote a very original book that wasn't just about stories. I took these stories that were in 12 chapters and I laid them all out. But then I actually took those stories and put a value at the top of each chapter and the emotional struggle that I had with the value so that readers getting actually reminded as they're going through the chapter that, hey, this guy in this chapter that is his first chapter when he's on a Ferris wheel, he's in... He's with his, you know, aunt and uncle at the fair and he's traumatized because he got stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel. His thing about that is a struggle between truth and perception. And why that is, is because I, in my own head, as a little kid at five years old, sat there and went, oh, my God, I got stuck on a Ferris wheel and it was creaking and the wind was blowing and all the rest of this stuff in my own mind. And my aunt and uncle, of all people, took me to the fair to do this. And they're good people. How could they do that to this little kid? And I carried this fear in my head of heights through my entire life of just being, you know, because I was so traumatized by this one moment that happened when I was a little kid. And then right. I said to my aunt years later, I said, to Aunt Carol, how could you have done that to this kid, to me at that age?" And she just started laughing at me, and she was, she said, "Corey." We weren't at the fair. We were at the mall. I plugged a quarter into the thing. It was probably seven feet tall max. You were just standing up there. You were sitting there just crying your eyes out because you were just losing it. Like you were being a puss about that, right? But it's just funny when I look back at that, my perception was this crazy other thing, right? So again, you carry these things sometimes into your adulthood without realizing.
0: But it's also, t- but it's also truly terrifying to you at In that time.
1: Yeah. And it's
0: not like it's not like the fear that you carried with you for 20 or 30 years was any less real than if it had been at a 30 foot Ferris wheel or the Ferris wheel. I'm in Chicago. So the Ferris wheel at Navy pier, which is, I don't know how tall it is. It's tall. Right. Uh, (laughs) It's a tall one. It's a big one.
1: right?
0: (laughs) But I, and what you're kind of talking about is like, the, the generational trauma that got put onto you that mm-hmm. you didn't even know was being put onto you.
1: No, not at all.
0: And also the story of masculinity. What does mm-hmm. it mean to be a man?
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and then on top of that, Aaron, at the end of every chapter, I wrote five years later after the original book was even, the original storyline was written. I took my unhazed, undrug hazed reality, my accountable <laughs> reality, my reality of taking two years off of life again. And I wrote Mm -hmm. this section called The Naked Truth at the end of every chapter. And I know it sounds a little cliche because it's the naked truth, but it really is the truth. I can look back and go, yeah, you did amazing there, but you really screwed up there, dude. And, you know, looking back at the story going, boy, that was written when you were in a pretty dark place, right? Whereas (laughs) now I'm out of that dark place and I'm kind of going, okay, this is now where I can go you know what, you got to show this side of you to, to people out there so that they can actually, maybe maybe just maybe, right? Maybe the, the, that guy that is 30 years old that's maybe going into a marriage right now, that's maybe going through the struggles of finance, finances and trying to figure out how they're going to maybe make it through these COVID times or whatever it may be. Maybe that word of just having that guy that was up there on the stage that they looked at in that light, maybe that guy went through the same stuff that that person went through and they can look at themselves a little bit differently and maybe don't, not be so bloody hard on themselves and just say, hey, you know what? I'm normal just like he was. I'm just going through the same sort of stuff. And so, yeah. so like, that's where I have a big passion because I don't – you know, I, I, I dealt with – like I said, a lot of stuff that, that a lot of people would say is regrets. And I do have regrets in my life. Like, I think when some people say, Oh, I don't have any regrets. I kind of call BS on that. I think most people do Me too. have regrets. It's bullshit. They, you you yeah.
0: 100% have regrets. Everyone has regrets. You might not yeah. like, you might be okay with what happened and sure. have resolved the, you might be like fine with the result of the regrets.
1: Yes. Yes and it's all and
0: You can regret the hell out of it.
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure, right? I mean, but again, And I guess I, you know, I've done a lot of reading in this last few years, too. One of my favorite authors is Eckhart Tolle. He's a Canadian author out of Vancouver, Mm -hmm. and he wrote The Power of Now, which is obviously one of the greatest books of all time when it comes to personal development. But why is that? Because it's actually the power of living today and not really, you know, you have the regrets of the past, but you're not living in it. You're not camping in it. You're just going, okay, well, again, why did those things happen And this is where I'm at now. How can I take that stuff, that value of why that stuff happened and leverage that for my future? And so I look at the world in a different way now where I'm not like passing off blame on anybody. I can say that, yes, I was egotistical and admit that I was egotistical. The one thing I never wanted to do was admit that I was egotistical. I hated the word. I was just like, oh, I never want to be that egotistical stereotypical male dancer guy. Right? Right. But then when I actually did say admit that I brought that home with me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even intentionally do it, but I brought it home with me. Now I can actually take that layer off because I can I am okay yeah. with it. I'm actually Have okay with Have you heard of it.
0: the concept of radical acceptance?
1: I can relate to what you're talking about, but I haven't heard the official definition, no. Well,
0: it's a she's a psychologist. Her name's Tara Brock, and mm-hmm. she uh, wrote a book called Radical Acceptance. And the idea okay. behind it is you you will change things when you finally accept what is. It's very yeah. Buddhist, very, like, you know, rooted in Buddhist uh, theory. Yeah. And it's kind of that, what you were just mm-hmm. saying about your ego. Like, yeah. the more you fight that you have an ego, the more your ego will be the thing that's in control. And Slowly. when you actually acknowledge,
1: okay, have an ego. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
0: guess what? It stops running the show all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. And so again, this is why I put these values in each chapter of my book, because like I struggled with other things too. Like when it came down to connection with my relationships, I communicated with my relationships, but I didn't connect. I didn't really Ooh, truly connect. Right? What's
0: the difference?
1: Well, hi, honey, I'm home. How was your day? You know, right? Like the typical default stuff that everybody does when you get home. But instead of connecting where I could turn around and say like where I am with, you know, a potential partner that I have in my life now, I'm real with that partner where I'm like, you know what, I really want to work on these on this to make sure that we're actually staying aligned. And I want to make sure that you're, you're, you know, I'm staying aligned with my values and my authenticity. And I'm never going to be a perfect with that and neither are you. But I want to understand you better where you stand with that. And not only that, But maybe even going to the degree of having a monthly check-in where Mm -hmm. it's like, how are you doing? How are you feeling about where we're at? And if we're not where we need to be, what do we need to do as a team to get to where we need to be? Let's just be real and authentic about it instead of making it a whitewash and trying to play this game of, oh, we're going to last forever. And just because we are we. Well, yeah, that does go great for the honeymoon phase. But if you want to actually really get down to being able to make something work on the long term, there's a reason why they call it the seven-year itch back in the day. And that really, in my eyes, is because it's the seven-year mark, people are growing and they're growing in different directions and they might be growing in different at a different pace. And if you don't do that check-in, this is just me, like I'm just my perspective, right? But if you're not okay. doing that check-in, then how are you really honestly going to know what direction that person's going in, and how fast they're going in, to really try to stay aligned with them, right? And not necessarily live their, through their body or live their life, live your whole life, but be complimentary of what they're trying to do, what their what their mission in their life is, right? Like, not, I don't want to control anyone again. I just want to compliment them and show them that they can be the greatest version of themselves, and have them support me to do the exact same thing. Have them inspire me, and vice versa.
0: Well, yeah. I think it's a choice you know, to grow with somebody is a choice. And, um, I love gardening. I have a bunch of massive rose roses. I magically turns out I can grow roses really well. Nice, And, um, I'm growing them along my fence. I have an eight foot iron fence in my front yard. And so I'm basically using my iron gate as a wall of roses and that's nice. going to be our security system, <laughs> which is kind of working. Okay. Uh, anyway, you, I have to like be very intentional about where I put the vines because otherwise they turn into a scraggly mess.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is like, if you are not choosing how and where you want to grow,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You will just turn into a scraggly mess.
1: Yeah, you are just and going you're tra- wherever.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you are trying to do that with another person, even more, right? It's gonna get who knows where you'll end up. <laughs> One person might end up not in the same yard.
1: But, but isn't it interesting though, Erin? That we was like, I mean, kind of just as a society in general. And I, I'm, I like I said, I am up here in Canada, but we are kind of like you know cousins when it comes yeah, down we're to similar kind societies. of the same. We're kind of the same demographic, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, when it comes down to it, like you meet someone and you ask people how they meet someone and they say, Oh, I met, we met in a bar, we met on match.com or we met doing this or whatever it was. Maybe it was by fate, maybe, but like, then it's kind of like they, they, you, and this is just, I'm just saying, I'm guilty of doing this myself. Okay. I'm not pushing this off on anyone else, but when you, when you take that, that honeymoon thing and you're like, Ooh, I love this person and you got a little butterflies and you're all into all that. And that overtakes the other side of it, the, the reality side of it for a while. But then, As I said, like you can get to that, maybe even that two, three year mark of you're living on that, that high of the honeymoon. But then if you start growing apart further and further, that's kind of where that marriage gap kind of starts to happen, where people start to lose that, you know? And that's why I just feel like, and I'm not saying that I invented that. Like I, I listened to some of amazing. It's what
0: happens with people. That's why people break up it like between years one and two, most relationships break up between years one and two, because that's when people start to see, are we growing together or apart
1: for sure right so I even come back to in my book like I talk about protect your house a lot and it's funny because like I literally mean this not only protecting your physical house but protecting the house between your ears Mm -hmm. and so like I allowed people into both of my houses my literal house and my head house (laughs) and those people that were bad apples of good intent And I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm not saying that they were bad people. In fact, I was a bad apple of good intent myself many times. But I'm just saying that by allowing those people into my life, I allowed that negativity or I allowed that to control me. And and for someone that deals with self-doubt and deals with lack in their mind, if you allow that type of person to get into your head, and it can even be family members or really close friends. In fact, a lot of the time, that is the one that hits you the hardest because you really, really, really want their support or you really want them to really be like, you know what, Corey, go do it. Go live your dream. Go rip it up, you know? And and you really want them to say all those nice things, but then they don't. And they say something that's kind of not even necessarily what they say, it's how they say it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're going, oh. Maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe I am in over my head and all the negative self-talk starts happening and the saboteur inside your head starts to take over. And now you're in stress mode, completely unproductive, paralyzed, and another day has gone by and you haven't got anything done because of one word that somebody said to you at the beginning of a day, right? So that's where like, that was a big, big shift for me where... I learned that, that I have this mental issue and I really believe that most people do have mental health problems in this world in one way, shape or form. In some way they do, and including myself in a big way because when I really looked at that, I went, you know what? I allow this saboteur to get into my head and when I do that, I'm not being my best version of myself. So when I do that, I actually have to detach. I'll go do yoga or I'll go for a hike or I'll Mm -hmm. get out of nature. I know this is just typical stuff that a lot of influencers say, but it just freaking works. I get out there and I do that, come back, reset, have a coffee or drink water, whatever I need to and say, all right, that's out of the way now. Flick the switch, buddy. And let's get down to business because you know you're better than that. But I used to sit around all day and camp in there. And by camping in there, what did I do? I just did damage to myself. Nobody else cares. And that's the thing.
0: But that's kind of the thing, like, we are interdependent. We rely on each other, and we have an impact on each other. And it is normal to be impacted by what other people say to us. Mm-hmm. If you are not impacted by what other people say to you,
1: Something that wrong. is
0: Yeah. Weird. It's not not weird. It's probably problematic, right? Mm -hmm. That probably means that you are so wounded that you're closed off.
1: Yeah. That was my grandfather. Right. A great man, a great man. He would give the shirt off. uh, He would honestly give the shirt off his back to Aaron. He was the greatest guy on the planet. He was my Superman as a kid. I loved him so, so much. And that's the thing though, is is he put that wall up and you know, like I said, it wasn't that he meant to do it. He truly didn't mean to do it. But when he would put that wall up and then all of a sudden the dam would break. And that's why I I keep coming back to don't do it before the dam breaks. Like just do it. Because what happens is, and I've seen this over and over again in my life where he let it break way too late. And then all of a sudden he spits out a bunch of stuff that he honestly didn't even really truly mean from his heart And then he had to go back later on and say, I'm sorry that I said that or whatever. He'd feel bad about it. And it was like, he didn't mean it. He really didn't. He just, he was a robot through going through World War II and being programmed that way, right? And being programmed by his past of suicide with his family and stuff. So you can't really like, I don't look down upon him for that. In fact, I feel for him in that way. And and so when I look at myself, right, I've realized that although I had this great upbringing, I had to deprogram so much stuff. Like I literally had to take. It's funny when you when you talk about stripper. I feel like I've had to strip more now in this last two years than I ever had in my own in my entire life. But I'm talking about stripping off all that stuff. Oh, that that makes so much sense
0: now that you say that. I'm like, oh, of course you chose the path that you chose for the 35, 40 years that you chose
1: it. Well, yeah, it was 25 years of dancing, but 35, 40 years or a solid, I would say honestly, 48 years of my entire life that I blocked everything. That I literally just blocked everything.
0: Yeah, and now you're out here like asking people. Here's (laughs) what I'm hearing you ask people. Tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But what I'm hearing you ask people, specifically men, is uncover who you really are and start sharing that.
1: hundred percent. Because like, mm-hmm. I can't say how many people that I've, I know that have dealt with trauma, male or female, and the best way that they've ever been able to do it is to voice it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm talking about even about a hairstylist that I know here locally. She went through her own trauma. I don't even know what the trauma is. But she even said the best thing that she ever did was is voiced it was actually talk to people about it. I know this comes back to standard therapy, but to me, I, I honestly feel like, and I've been to one therapist in my life and it was after my divorce. I'm glad that I did because she told me one of my best value lessons that I ever heard. She just kind of said to me, she was really, when it really came down to it, she just believed that that whether I was going to get back together with my ex-wife or I was going to get together with someone else, that the only way it was going to work on either account was is to really, truly work on myself first. And that was the only way it was ever gonna work because where I was, I wasn't in a place where it was gonna work at that time. So when I took that time for me, and really worked on it, not just took time off of work to lay on the beach or do whatever. But I actually like literally plugged in every day and went for a hike and listened to some of the most amazing people on this planet that have, we are in this generation right now. of God, this is an information age. You can get anything from anywhere. Well, I plugged into all those people and I took what applied to me. I left behind the rest, noted it all down and went, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is where you, this, this applies to you and this is the audience that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. and it simply is just like a lot of writers do they are they're doing is, is talking to their old version of their self right and that's really what i'm doing right now is i'm talking to the old version of myself right and without being unkind like i used to be very unkind to myself i'd drop something on the ground and i'd be like oh shit. you know and be like way to go Corey." <laughs> Way to go,
0: Corey. Yeah, you know? Pick up that gum, Corey. Yeah, right? Just like
1: <laughs> negative <laughs> self-talk. Go go, sit down. Yeah. But now I just laugh at it. And I go, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like, and we all, I believe we all do it to a certain degree. You have a bad day. We all know the old Murphy's Law thing. It starts out bad. You stub your toe on your foot or something when you get out of bed. And it's just like, wah, wah, wah. and then it kind of just well, continues to go from there.
0: Especially if you ascribe significance to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Like if
0: you decide, so I woke up today and my dog had taken a big old poop and <laughs> I have drop cloths everywhere. Cause my house is under construction. Oh, okay. <laughs> she just like pooped <laughs> on one of the drop cloths. Oh, okay. And I was like, I could totally make this mean that this week is going to be bad. Yep. But really all it means is that my dog pooped in my house. <laughs>
1: like yeah. And, and Hey, there's a There's a cup half full. At least it was on one of the drop cloths. You know? I mean, really? I was yeah. like,
0: well, it's not my drop cloth and it's on a drop cloth.
1: <laughs> but again, here we are laughing. Right about this, right? Because it's just you, you know, it's
0: just dog poop.
1: That's like, right. That's
0: right. It, it's just dog poop. But yeah. you know, in a previous life or in a previous mood, or you know, with a, a range of hormones, sure. That that would be a totally different reaction. Yeah. Like, oh
1: my god. And and the poor dog has hell to pay for the rest of the day, right? With its ears slicked back, going, What did I do?
0: She's she knew what she did. <laughs> I didn't even yell at her. She knew what she did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that guilty look. I know I have a boxer, and yeah, he looks at me like that when he does something wrong and it's all it's written all over his face. So she, yeah. She
0: was like, we don't need to go for a
1: walk this morning. <laughs> 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 oh man, but yeah, no it's it's an it's been an interesting journey. That's all I can say. And I really truly enjoy doing podcasts because it's sort of like it's it's me being real. It's me being Corey, and I yeah. really love that because uh, I guess like I say, like I've hidden behind the entertainer for so many years, and and just I don't know. Like I say, like even when you when you, I I really like to revert back to when I was a kid because. And therapists always talk about your inner child and all that, right? You're going back to when you're a kid and stuff. And and for me, it was kind of like I, I found that I always really strived and I really realized the real reason why I wanted to become an entertainer. It wasn't necessarily about the money or the women. It was actually about the emotional reaction that I could get out of people by doing what I was doing because I didn't really get a lot of that myself.
0: Yeah, like, it's about it's, being seen.
1: Yeah, so like when I was a little kid, like, it's kind of funny i'll describe this a little bit but like my folks would have we had a kind of a small house middle class house and you know we had this the kitchen there and they my parents when they rarely would have company over they'd be sitting in the kitchen playing cribbage and cards and stuff or whatever and you know the kids like not getting any attention so he's in his bedroom and so i would be in the bedroom and there was this like and it, there was like you would basically you could go from the bathroom to the bedroom back and forth and there was an opening there where everybody could see you in the kitchen if they were looking so I would run strip down naked run back and forth back and forth back and forth just to just to get them all to laugh and be like oh god the crazy kid you know and thought it was so mm-hmm. funny and I was very introverted in fact actually believe it or not I had nightmares as a kid of exposure where I was like oh my god I can just see myself walking down the street with my zipper on open and all of a sudden everything's hanging out. And I literally had nightmares about this. And then what do I do? And yet. <laughs> face, face my biggest fear, go straight into the resistance and away we go, right? End up being one of the Amazing. best in the world. But it's just, yeah. So it's just crazy, right? But I jokingly say it when I'm doing any type of public speaking. I'm just kind of like, yeah, my parents in that moment realized I was going to do one of two things. He was either going to be a male exotic dancer or an incredible pole vaulter. So we just, I just (laughs) kind of joke about it because like, it's kind of like, you got to joke about an industry like this. It's like, I I really do. Like I try to keep it very lighthearted because again, I come back to it. I just don't want people to feel it. I'm this just typical, like when I think stereotypically about a male dancer, I think about conceit. I think about ego. I think about just, you know, having this attitude of I can get anything that I want. And and that was quite frankly, a lot of the, you know, I'm not going to say every male dancer because there was a lot of really good, good guys in the industry that i worked with over the years, but there was a lot of that stuff there, right? There was a lot of treating women the wrong way. There was a lot of stuff that it's a very politically incorrect industry, quite frankly, in comparison mm-hmm. to what it is now. It's a foregone industry that you really telling some of these stories People listening to this in 2022, looking back at 1987 on out are kind of going, wow, that's kind of harsh, but it really happened. So I'm just kind of saying, hey, it was what it was.
0: I mean, I consider, here's what I think. Sex work is work. Mm -hmm. And whether you're a male exotic dancer or a female exotic dancer or a drag performer or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you are doing, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're performing. And what we're kind of dancing around right now is why perform and what happens to you, the human being, when you become a performer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, because uh, you could
0: be an actor I, I have a stand-up comedy background and cool. no, what you're saying right now
1: mm-hmm. is
0: not at all that different
1: mm-hmm. from what
0: stand-up comedians say.
1: Well a lot of stand-up comedians also have a lot of shit pardon my French that they deal with that they can laugh about because I mean let's face it everybody likes to hear about when you you know they, they like to they like to hear about people's pain and it can be funny. As crazy as that sounds.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, all it is is a perspective shift, right? Like taking pain and making it funny is just a perspective shift. But back to the shield of performing and who you actually are. Mm -hmm. What's it it for you? Like what's the gap?
1: Well, I mean, it's been so many years, quite frankly, since I was on the stage doing that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean – God, it's almost a decade since I stepped on stage and did any of that stuff. So it is a, a former life, so to speak. But again, I think that for me, it was it was more so an acceptance thing when it really broke down to it, and that's why the cover of my book has um, my picture on it with my. I have a charm on my neck that's actually like a. It was given to me um, in with my in my old group in Florida when I was really truly at a point of true acceptance where I'd hit Mm. a point in my life where I was, I was filling the boots of some very big people and I was accepted by it in a big way. And it felt really amazing. And it was kind of the first time I really had ever really felt like that before. So that charm that I have is actually the theater masks. And they're the one side of my face is airbrushed with the theater mask covering the one side of my face, being my alter ego hiding behind that theater mask. So it has a big, deep representation right on the cover of the book. So in a one-word answer, it would most definitely be acceptance. Because when I really come back to it, Aaron, I never, and I still to this day shudder when I think about, I don't, I can't, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not comparing here. I'm just saying this is my life. I've never wanted to be mediocre. I've never wanted to settle for mediocrity. I've always wanted to be able to be something that was, I wanted to be something that was even bigger than myself. I wanted to push myself to a different place. And so by doing that, maybe I wasn't being Corey, but I did push myself to a different place. I put myself to a place that I was like, I had the emotional rush and it was better than any drug that I ever took of having an audience cry or laugh or just cheer and lose their frigging minds it was like that was such an amazing feeling and i think that anybody including a stand-up or a person that does live theater they all get that they all understand that emotional uh, that 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 adrenaline rush of having that feeling you don't even get that when you're doing tv because i've done tv you don't get that when you're doing that you just get the take we're done whereas when you're doing live theater man I just it's a real
0: exchange of energy
1: oh is it Being
0: able to experience that real exchange of human energy and mm-hmm. knowing that like you've had that impact. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, I, I honestly like, you know, I almost see things in pictures and when I look back over 25 years, that's a long time to be doing an industry like that. But when I look back at it, I think about my best moments, like the ones that really, really hit. And I see them in pictures of the, like, I even remember the show that I was doing and what it took to create that show. And really, like, when you think, when I think about my best shows that I ever did, it was when I was being very, very creative with a very, very evenly balanced clarity to it. So when I'm saying that, what I mean by that is, is... um, I had some bomb shows <laughs> where I was being far too creative. And I know that, you know, even standups can say that where they they think that this is really funny in the way that they present it. They, they maybe even present something that's really funny, but they say it the wrong way or they just hit it the wrong way. And then they're like, oh, I bombed that. And then you just take that and you go, okay, I'm going to learn from that. I'll be better next time. And then maybe I'll be a little more clear instead of being so creative. Right. So mm-hmm. I had to do that a few times in my career where I had some bombs. And then all of a sudden I, took some of the creativity that other dancers had, t- had used that was very successful, put my own accent on it, and all of a sudden I was winning big contests like Mr. New Western Canada, right? So it was like, and to, to have that behind my belt, even though that's credibility in an industry that most people don't even know that they do contests for, that still got me into another realm of it where I ended up in Florida, right? So, and then as well, like from my own personal side of things, I never wanted to, as a dancer, be doing the YMCA all the time. Like that was just the typical stereotypical stuff. Now, I'm not going to lie, I did YMCA a couple of times, but I'm just saying, like, I never, that wasn't where I really felt like I was at my best. But when I was at my best was maybe when I went through a really, really hard breakup with a girl and all of a sudden I felt all alone. I felt like I'd lost everything. Well, when I was in that mode and I was feeling like that, I put that into my creativity on stage and created a show that was of a guy that was a street person that had lost everything. And when I made that show, believe it or not, with a bunch of stuff from the secondhand store and a garbage pail with a fire in it and a park bench, that ended up being my best show of all time. And I brought that. I actually down.
0: do believe that <laughs> 100%.
1: Yeah. It was my best show I ever did. It was better than the one I won Mr. New Western Canada with. And I used to just... I would have such an emotional rush from doing that when I would, and I know it's stripping, right? But it's sort of the same thing. Like when you're, if you're doing, you could do a a play and it's a comedy well, and I you just, get, you get a hold rush. Hold on.
0: You keep saying, I know it's stripping, right? Like you're minimizing what you did yeah, and I, yeah. stop it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you, but it's just, I always kind of look at it. Like I look up a lot of the time to amazing entertainers that are say like, you know, in theater. And they are able to memorize their lines, and they're really good at hitting it, and all the rest of it. It isn't. It's an art form in its own right, whereas dancing is as well. Like what I did is an art form in its own right, and I accept that. I think that it's just a little bit of that fanboy stuff when I still look up to other people. When when I do admire some amazing entertainers in this world, is what it comes.
0: Down I, to. And all I'm saying is that your art is just as valuable. It's just a, it's different just
1: different. Art. Yeah, different art for sure. For That's sure. it.
0: It's just a little different.
1: But I'll say this, Aaron, you know, and I know we're we're getting into the time here a little bit because the hours just gone by really quick. I really enjoyed this conversation, but you know, I will say that you know, even some of the best artists in the world, some of the ones that I admire a whole lot, you know, music industry artists, some of the best front men in the industry that are that you know everybody in the world is like sat there and gone oh my god I'm gaga about what they've done on stage and then when the lights go down and they're back at their hotel alone or they're back at home alone and maybe they don't even have anybody around them or maybe all their friends are gone you know and they maybe even have been on antidepressants or trying to just deal with whatever they got going on in their head they end up doing the, the ultimate worst thing and end up committing suicide and there's a long list of them that have done that and yeah you know, they have all the status in the world. Everybody else is looking up to them, but they're not really all that happy about who they're seeing. And it's happened well, over and, and over again.
0: And that's kind of the thing, right? Like, it doesn't matter what art art form you're doing. It doesn't matter how much status you have in the world or status no. you don't have in the world. Like.
1: No difference.
0: <laughs> we all matter.
1: Yep we should sure at,
0: at a basic level we all matter and we're all very important and our impact on the world is just as equal and mm-hmm. w- you probably don't know what your impact is I'm, uh,
1: amazingly enough i'm in a very interesting transition point my friend because i'm in this position where i just hit amazon bestseller lists in three categories a few days ago and um it's amazing to see that recognition to be there. Like it makes me feel amazing, but at the same time, like where I'm at is, is that I put this out there and I don't even know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So I'm in that position again where I've put my heart and soul into something and I've thrown it out there to the universe with the hopes that it makes an impact. But it's all up to me to market it the right way. When it really breaks down to that, but you know, I do believe in what I put out there. I really do. I believe firmly, and I have all the faith in the world, and that's why I'm all in on this project.
0: I mean, I. I have faith in you. Yeah, thank you. I have a lot of faith in you. You seem like my experience of this interview is that you know, you are a man of integrity who wants to be of service. And um there's probably some really cool things coming for you around the corner.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, I actually take that to heart because for 40 for 40 God knows how many years in my life I was all about selling And I was about selling something that wasn't me. Now I am actually serving. And it makes a massive difference in my heart and soul. And so, again, I've been the guy that's been on the ledge literally because I lost everything. And I mean everything. At 38 years old, I lost my house. I lost my wife. I lost my dog. I lost my cat. I sound like a freaking country song. I literally, (laughs) I was like, I lost everything. And I was literally living out of a bag. Didn't even know what I was going to do with my life. And in that moment, while I was sitting up on the mountain at two o'clock in the morning in December, thinking about my beach house in Florida, and I'd lost, I mean, I'm talking everything, <laughs> that was when I really got stripped down naked. And when that happened, I, I hate to even say this, but I may have done the wrong thing that day. I really might have if I, if I hadn't chosen the right direction. And I just, all I tried to do was, is just with the tools that I had at that time, tried to rebuild myself to the best I could. Still wasn't working on my inner self, but I did try to rebuild myself the best I could with the tools that I had at that time, and I'm glad that I did because if I didn't, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. If I didn't, this wouldn't be happening, and and I'm really grateful beyond grateful, quite frankly, for what I have in my life now. And I don't even have family really anymore. My full almost my whole family is gone. But what I did do through my authenticity is I closed the door on a lot of really relationships that weren't serving me, and I opened up a lot of doors that are on relationships that. Do serve me that I can serve them with now. That's the big difference. That's the game changer. So you want to talk about the needle move? That's why I wrote the book. I wanted to strip that stuff out of my life and bring in the good. And that, I don't care. I would rather have five authentic, real, true friends than the 5,000 acquaintances that always wanted a piece of me before for all the wrong reasons. So I'll take that five any day. Yeah.
0: well first of all i'm so glad you're here
1: <laughs> oh thank you so much
0: thank you so much for spending an hour with us no, me my pleasure and the listeners um how else can we find you outside of your book
1: well i am under cory c-o-r-e-y hilton h-i-l-t-o-n on facebook and you okay. can find me on Corey underscore underscore hilton again on instagram Uh, That's really my two main social media handles at the moment. Um, But truthfully, the best way to get a hold of me to really talk as far as even like I'm gonna be doing coaching for authenticity in this next little while because I'm gonna be certified by the end of the week here. I've been working on that for a little while.
0: Congratulations. And yeah,
1: because I really wanna help other writers out to be able to be better versions of themselves as far as the writing goes. And it's important to me for that. Like I really feel like it's been so liberating for me if I can help other people to do it, man, it feels really, really good. So that's the direction I wanted to go in and I'm gonna be doing my courses on my website as well at takeitoff.ca. So not only will you be able to purchase a book there, you'll to get streamable courses, I might even make some creative bookmarks, some that are creative, some that are clean, some that are dirty, um, you know, just to have a little bit of fun with it. And there's a gallery on there and a blog on there and all that stuff too. So I mean, all the typical website stuff, but I just want to throw it through my own lens and have some fun with it. And really at the same time through that fun though, make an impact, right? So yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you so much, Corey. Um, I can't wait to hear about your courses. I will for sure plug them to the men in my world, my oh, orbit. That's awesome. Um, Also, aren't you glad you don't have to also dance to Pony (laughs) (laughs) now? It's
1: it's funny you say that, actually, Pony. Um, I Actually, yeah, there's a dancer that was in in Vancouver. His dance name was literally Pony. And uh, I'll never forget this guy because he did some of the most original dance moves. But um, yeah, that typical stuff, you know, when I look back at it all, I just kind of, I cringe a little bit because now when I actually in my headspace now, it's amazing after you get out of an industry like that, you all of a sudden you get this idea and you're like, Oh, that would be the perfect song to do this with. <laughs> and, and, you know, but now, unfortunately I'm 51 years old and nobody wants to see my white butt out there doing my shows anymore. I mean, so you could always be
0: a choreographer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, could,
0: you could be an authentic
1: <laughs> dancing, <laughs> dancing coach,
0: choreographer. <laughs> Please do
1: that. Oh, that hilarious. would be like <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, yeah, you y- know, you would
0: have a show in Vegas. And <laughs> two years. I, I, I
1: I, really, when I hit 43 and I decided to hang that G string up, I meant it when I did it because I was at a point in the book where it's you really, if you read it. It goes full circle, actually. And there's a really big reason why I hung it up at the end and I'm never going okay, back because you. of it. So I'm just, I, I really don't. But you think... don't
0: have to wear a G-string to choreograph. I'm just yeah, saying. this is
1: true. But I, I just the whole industry in general, I'm just like over it. Next chapter, let's do some stuff that's going to be a little more impactful and that's going to leave a legacy behind that's really what i wanted to do is leave a really good legacy behind i'm not going to be here forever but while i'm here i want to do the right thing so awesome. in a world well, that has so much so negativity much.
0: <laughs> thank <laughs> so, you so much for doing this Corey. it was such a pleasure to be
1: with you yeah, today so awesome i really really thank you so much and i really am honored to be on this podcast it's great cool. All right.
0: This Is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.